Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal and welcome to episode 15. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I really appreciate you and I've been very overwhelmed by your love lately. <laughs> Thanks if you've, you know, messaged me on Instagram or DM'd me on Twitter or whatever to tell me that you are loving this podcast. It really means a lot to me. So thank you so much for reaching out and telling me that you like you like what I'm what I have to say. <laughs> it does it means a lot to me. And what are we on? We're on episode 15. And today we're going to be talking about Aquarius. So happy birthday Aquarius. Uh, that's one of my favorite signs to talk about. And Aquarius, there's just such an enigma of the Zodiac. And who doesn't love to talk about, you know, what's going on in their minds? Uh, isn't the cliche that Aquarius is sort of like an alien? <laughs> I think that's totally true. I totally see them as, you know, aliens from another planet. Uh, but we'll talk about them more we're also going to go into what's going on in February. Uh, I also just want to say that, and I think I mentioned this last podcast in the opening, um, but I am still, you know, t almost 10 days after um, that Leo solar eclipse we had on January 20th, I'm still working through what that brought up for me. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you on the other side of this podcast are also still, you know, working through that the power of having a solar eclipse in Leo and uh, Leo, the ruler of the heart. Uh, that's exactly what where this solar eclipse hit me, and in a way that that solar eclipse brought around or brought about such like an intensely painful healing moment for me and the only way I can sort of describe it is um it, it, well it was healing around my heart chakra a <laughs> but b uh, I think there are some instances um and I don't know if there's any doctors listening but the the metaphor I was kind of thinking about for the heart chakra and just the healing that I have been feeling the last 10 days, um, I was kind of thinking of a way to like describe it. And it's about, it's kind of like if you broke a bone um, or fractured a bone and you tried to heal it yourself and you never went to the doctor to get a cast and um, you kind of heal it, healed it yourself, but now, you know, your bone, it's still just not the same as before. So, you know, you go to the doctor and they say, actually, you, the way you healed this, this fracture, uh, it was completely wrong. <laughs> and we're actually going to have to re-break this bone to make it heal in a, in a more full way. <laughs> and that's like the metaphor that I would describe that kind of happened to my heart in a way when that Leo f solar eclipse came about. I sort of realized that there were so many heartbreaks and different things that happened in different relationships that I had tried to heal in a sort of half-assed way uh, that I had tried to heal and then move on from very quickly and sort of repress and 
you know, as I think Carl Jung, what does he say? Whatever you rep- uh, repress persists or whatever you repress, you manifest. <laughs> and that really was happening. And I was realizing that uh, this sort of fractured bone, quote unquote, that I was, that I had thought that I healed myself, uh, wasn't actually healed. And I had to sort of go back in and re-break that bone, which was super, super painful. And I also had to come to terms with the fact that sometimes our heartbreaks, uh, they actually will affect us in other areas besides just love. Um, Like they say, like, you know, don't move on, don't date someone new before you get over, you know, your last person because you could end up uh, sort of living out that old relationship in the new relationship. Um, And that's true, but what sometimes we forget is sometimes a really bad heartbreak can also affect how we are moving out, moving uh, in the world in general. It can affect our business and it can affect our family and it can affect how we interact with people on a day-to-day basis. And that's sort of the uh, the clarity <laughs> that that solar eclipse brought me. And I'm still working through it. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there and share a sort of uh, moment of vulnerability uh, with what I've been working through with that eclipse. And I think some of you have sort of told me that the same sort of themes have been coming up for you. And we're going to be working through that, you know, eclipse, don't they say eclipses last like six to seven months? (laughs) So we're going to be working through that sort of thing, I think for the next at least half a year. That being said, I feel, I feel much better now that I've rebroken that bone and now that I have it healing in the right angle or right place, it's actually quite a relief and I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> and now that those, I think that's like the final musings I have on that Leo solar eclipse. But I also want to talk about what's happening in February. There's a couple things that I just want to bring up that I find interesting about the astrological weather in February. The first thing being about Chiron. If you don't know what Chiron is, um, it's one of my favorite things to sort of talk about in the Zodiac because Chiron is uh, the Zodiac's wounded healer, right? So wherever Chiron is in your chart, he's representing a wound uh, that can be healed and can sort of be your strength in this in this world, if that makes sense. Um, so you're meant to heal this wound and use it to help others. And that's really what, you know, being a healer is all about, right? Like healers aren't born um, perfectly uh, perfect. <laughs> you know, they have their own problems too, and they have to heal their own problems. And that is exactly why healers become healers, right? They heal themselves and they want to promote this sort of healing in others. And that's very much what Chiron represents to me. Now, for the last seven years or so, give or take, Chiron has been transiting Pisces. Now, Pisces is 
one of the healer archetypes in the zodiac. Uh, Pisces and Virgo are the two healer archetypes. This isn't to say that other signs can't facilitate healing, but just in the the story behind who Pisces is and who Virgos are in an archetypal way, both of them are the healers. Now, when Chiron is in Pisces, what are we actually healing? Well, for the past seven years, we've been healing wounds, uh, collective wounds and individual wounds around spirituality, around religion, um, around our abilities to be healers, uh, our, around our abilities to heal others. And we've also been healing uh, connections to the other realm, if that makes sense. Uh, and this doesn't always have to be, uh, this isn't just affecting Pisces, right? Even though Chiron is in Pisces and it's moving through its last degrees of Pisces right now, uh, this is affecting everybody. Now, if you are a Pisces or you have heavy Pisces placements or your Chiron actually is in Pisces, this could be affecting you more than the average person. But in general, this it has been affecting the collective for the past seven years. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, Chiron is transiting through the la very last degrees of Pisces right now. I think as, we're, we, as we are talking right now, um, January, end of January 2019, Chiron is transiting, I think he's at about 29 degrees Pisces, and uh, he will move into 30, 30 degrees Pisces, and then finally on February 18th, he will move into Aries, right? Aries for good. Um, but what we have to understand when a planet or an asteroid is in the first few degrees of a sign, like zero degrees or one degrees, it's very intense. Likewise, when Chiron or another planet is in 28, 29, 30 degrees of a sign, again, very intense energy because it's sort of like this feeling of it's the final countdown <laughs> it's the last push of this energy and that can feel very overwhelming to some people so the reason I bring this up is because there there might be an emotional wound that uh, perhaps was you know ignited uh, with that Leo solar eclipse on January 20th um, but now, you know, I can't help but feel like that emotional wound is also connected to the energy of Chiron and Pisces, you know, making its last little push there. And what are we actually healing? Like I said, Chiron and Pisces, it's about healing spiritual wounds, uh, religious stuff. Um, it's about healing our wounds uh, with the other realms. So I wouldn't be surprised if the people that are listening to this today, uh, maybe sometime in the last seven years, you've had um, a sort of uh, spiritual awakening. Maybe some people on the other side listening to this, maybe some of you have discovered tarot cards in the last seven years. Maybe some of you have discovered astrology. Maybe some of you have converted from one religion to another. Maybe some of you have 
left your um, sort of church that you grew up in for a, a more spiritual way of life. Maybe some of you became yoga teachers. <laughs> Maybe some of you uh, stepped into your identity as a healer. Uh, maybe some of you are just now finding the confidence, cough, cough, like me, <laughs> to step into your identity as a healer. That very, all those things very much have to do with Chiron and Pisces. Um, perhaps you've made connections with your ancestors that you haven't made before. Perhaps you've told the spirit realm, you know, I'm ready to connect with you. I'm ready to... Uh, be available to you. I'm ready to communicate with you. And those kind of themes are, you know, what's going to happen, you know, when Chiron is in Pisces. Now, what is the ultimate lesson as Chiron is moving through the last degrees of Pisces? His, I think his lasting lesson is about, you know, everybody's ability to be a healer, everybody's ability to, um, you know, not only heal themselves, but use those wounds to heal others. Now, that sort of realization is very heavy, and that could leave us feeling like just a ball of emotions. <laughs> like, I feel like I've been wading through some really heavy stuff, and I probably will be still wading through um, this kind of... Uh, these deep emotions surrounding spirituality. I think I totally am going to be waiting through them until February 18th. I think once Chiron actually makes his move into Aries, we're going to feel like a weight's been lifted off of us. We're going to feel like um, uh, we chose the right path, that the spiritual path was the right one for us. Um, or perhaps we've converted to a new religion. We're going to finally feel like, yes, I made the right choice. Um, perhaps we've uh, started uh, you know, studying astrology or studying tarot cards. Um, something about that is really going to feel serendipitous around February 18th. We're just going to have that weight lifted off of us. And that's kind of the lesson, I think the lesson there with Chiron and Pisces. Now, as Chiron moves into Aries, we're going to be dealing with a whole new batch of lessons as individuals and as a collective um, that is much different, right? Uh, because Aries has to do with our personal identities, our egos. So now as we become healers with Chiron and Pisces, as we move into Chiron with Aries, now we're learning to be healers while also being aware of our own egos, right? Because, you know, Aries, you know, the ruler of the ego, ruler of the first house, right? But we'll talk about Chiron and Aries um, probably more in the March episode, um, the March forecast episode. Like, what actually will that mean? Um, so that's one thing that I found interesting about the February forecast. The other thing we want to talk about on February 4th, we have our new moon in Aquarius. Now, there's kind of, there's always like this sort of, um, I don't want to say cliche, but there's this uh, overall understanding that new moons are for quote-unquote planting seeds and full moons are for quote-unquote closing out cycles or letting things go or harvesting. 
Um, but to be honest, like some new moons feel like a good time to plant seeds and some don't. <laughs> and uh, for instance, like uh, like a new moon in Capricorn would be a great time to plant seeds for me. Or um, maybe a new moon in uh, what, let's say... Leo might be a good time to plant seeds. But for this one in particular, this new moon in Aquarius, uh, I'm really not feeling like we're necessarily meant to like do some kind of ritual or spell or whatnot or manifestation exercise where we're writing down everything we want to manifest the next year and we're, you know, giving it up to the gods. Like it doesn't give me that feeling. I actually think that um, this new moon in Aquarius, it's more about taking a step back and trusting the things that you've already done. Um, like kind of feeling like you've already done enough to plant the seeds that you want to plant. And now we're sort of just sitting back and watching them grow. Um, as I'm speaking, I'm seeing the um, Seven of Pentacles card in the tarot, um, which is a, kind of a card about waiting. And it's a card about feeling like the seeds have been planted and we're just waiting for those flowers to come up from the earth. And I, I very much feel that this is what this new moon is about. We're not necessarily feeling the pressure to really do anything. I think we really need to trust our intuitions during this time. Um, there also needs to be an understanding that, you know, everything that we want um Th there's a certain partnership we have to have with spirit, right? Um, at least this is how I see it. I kind of see us um, making a deal with spirit, with everything we want to accomplish. Let's say we have a goal in mind. Um, we have to do the work on the human realm, <laughs> in the human realm, but spirit also has to do some work on their end too to make it happen. It's a partnership. And uh, not everything is all about us doing, doing, doing. Now, that's not to say that you can just achieve your goals by laying on the couch and, you know, praying to God that, you know, your dream job is just going to come to you in a golden package on your front door or whatever. But this is to say that spirit needs to meet us halfway. We need to trust that we've done a lot of the work that's necessary already. And now we kind of just have to, um, I hesitate to say sit back and relax, <laughs> but we kind of just have to breathe and relax and have an understanding that things will happen in their own time. Um, we can only do so much. It's sort of like... Uh, when you're, if you've ever ran in gym class or track and field or whatever you call it, and um, like you're doing a race and you're carrying a baton, um, there's only so far you can run before um, someone else has to pass you the baton, right? And that's kind of what we're doing right now. This is the moment where um, you know, we've been running, 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 and now we have to hand off that baton to spirit and say, I've done the work, I've done pretty much everything that I can do to plant this garden in a way that will give me a lot of harvest, 
But now I need to trust that spirit is actually going to give me that sunshine and that rain and that soil <laughs> to actually grow my seeds. Um, so this is sort of a new moon where we want to sit back and really trust. It's a new moon where we want to talk to spirit in a way and really see spirit as our partner in life if that makes sense yeah so I mean this isn't to say that if you feel compelled to do a big manifestation ritual um, and really write down all your goals and stuff and what you want on this new moon in Aquarius I mean that's fine that's your intuition Um, I can't really tell you what's best for you but I guess I'm just kind of sharing what this new moon is bringing up for me and it's very much a new moon where I feel as though my seeds are already planted and now I'm just kind of waiting for spirit to help me out on the other side right (laughs) Uh, so that's the new moon in Aquarius on the fourth Um, one more thing I want to touch on now Uh, A lot of, uh, you know, February, you know, what do we think of when we think of February? We think of uh, Valentine's Day, of course. (laughs) I, uh, you know, even as a Pisces, like, of course I'm a Pisces, so of course I like Valentine's Day, right? Um, Like, we're like the one person in the world who actually likes Valentine's Day. (laughs) Granted, I swear I have never had a good valentine's day (laughs) but i still love it which is again a very pisces thing to say um nevertheless i feel like we always kind of even if we love or hate valentine's day we always kind of want to know what's going on and i found it interesting that on valentine's day this year uh, mars actually moves into taurus (laughs) Mars is moving into like that stubborn bull energy so I think it's interesting um, that this Valentine's Day um, not necessarily that we're going to get into arguments but it might be sort of a different sort feeling of Valentine's Day you know usually on this day we like to you know go out with our significant other maybe want to get all dressed up go to a nice dinner Um, this Valentine's Day Maybe it's best to stay at home, have a romantic meal in, um, don't go out. (laughs) I mean, you can go out, but I'm just saying like, you know, this Mars and Taurus, this homebody energy, you might actually end up having a better night by staying inside, cooking a nice meal um, in your own home. Now, also... People always say that Scorpio is like the most sexual sign. I don't necessarily feel like, like it is true for me, but sometimes it's not. And I always think that people forget about Taurus, which is at the opposition of Scorpio. And I also think Taurus is equally, if not more sensual (laughs) than Scorpio, you know, being ruled by Venus. So what am I trying to say? I think there's going to be it's a very good omen for intimacy on this day. That's all I'm saying. So if, um, you know, if you're looking to get, you know, some good loving on that day, I think it's the stars are in your favor, guys. (laughs) But if I'm wrong, DM me. Let me know. Let me know how your Valentine's Day goes. I would love to know. So that's kind of the themes, uh, those major themes of February that I wanted to touch on 
and that I really wanted to kind of explore more, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to uh, go into our Aquarius talk, which I'm excited for. So I'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Let's talk about all the themes that have to do with Aquarius. What is the Aquarius archetype? Again, happy birthday to my Aquarius friends out there. I really, you know, I love you guys and I value the space that you hold for me in your lives. In a, in a weird way, I think that, um, you know, as a Pisces person, uh, <laughs> and maybe if you're a Pisces, you can uh, relate. But, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I am an alien with you guys. I feel like I don't belong in this world, <laughs> which is a very, like, Pisces, you know, trope <laughs> that Pisces, like, would be like, oh, I'm, like, too spiritual for this world or I'm too weird for this world or um, nobody really understands what I'm talking about or really understands me which is so like the Pisces cliche but sometimes I do feel like that but I never feel like that with Aquarius I never feel like that with Aquarius friends because you guys always get me you get what I'm saying you don't even like raise a brow if I say anything like you know, weird or <laughs> um, if I'm talking about planets, astrology, tarot, spirituality, I could tell you guys that I saw, you know, a, I was talking to a ghost on the street last night and you guys would like not even blink. <laughs> You'd be like, oh yeah, awesome. Like what, what happened? Like, what did the ghost say to you? Like <laughs> you would like everything that I have to say, you guys meet it with such like a understanding and from such a point of like no judgment and I just like appreciate you guys I just I really love you guys so what is um what do we have to what should we start with with talking about Aquarius I think maybe we can start with the fact that um, Uranus rules Aquarius so what is Uranus you know as a planet like what does that planet represent well Uranus is the planet of change it's the planet of surprise um, usually if Uranus is um, making a big transit or um, aspecting some other planet, um, he can bring about uh, a change, a surprise um, that we we weren't necessarily expecting. And that's because Uranus um, is this very innovative planet. He's like the planet of genius. Um, he's the planet of sort of intellectual expansion. Um, he's also the planet of truth, questioning like what is true and what is not. Um, Uranus is always going to question our current paradigms and he's also going to expand the paradigm that we're in. Um, it's also funny because Uranus, like Aquarius, Uranus doesn't like tradition, right? Um, and I think the energy of Aquarius and the energy of Uranus, um, it's this sort of... Um, you're not traditional and sometimes your ideas are so genius that other people don't understand them or other people think that they're stupid um and Uranus it's funny um if I were to like personify Uranus as a planet 
I would actually sort of make him into an artist uh, who is like doing really innovative things with their art and people don't quite understand what they're doing and they think their art is ugly or they don't really get it um, and then like a hundred years later after this artist dies suddenly people understand their genius and then their their paintings or whatever they were making suddenly is going to sell for like millions and millions of dollars and we see that with a lot of famous artists right like I don't actually think any famous artist in history was like fully recognized when they were living uh, because they were ahead of their time right it wasn't actually until they died and you know the time sort of caught up to what they were doing that's when they finally got recognized for their genius and that's the energy that Uranus is carrying now that sort of bleeds into the fact that uh, astrologers will say actually some astrologers say we're not quite in the age of Aquarius yet uh, some people say we have been in the age of Aquarius um, to me, I feel like we're very much in the age of Aquarius right now, but we're just in the beginnings of it. And um, now that we're transitioning into what they call the age of Aquarius, what does that actually mean? Um, this is a time um, where we can explore all those themes of the planet Uranus and also, duh, uh, the, the archetype Aquarius. You know, this is a time where we're supposed to be like, huh, you know, it's 2019. You know, some of our laws were written, you know, when dinosaurs were walking, you know, so why haven't we updated that shit? <laughs> like, it's a time of expansion. It's not just about our laws, um, but it's about our ideas. And that's no coincidence that, like, the internet was invented during the age of Aquarius. Like, there could be no greater invention during the age of Aquarius than the internet, because the internet is very much what the 11th house represents in the zodiac. The 11th house is about our connections. And with the invention of the internet and all social media and all the things that came with the internet, um, that expanded our communication with the world, right? Um, with the internet, that means that we can log on to Twitter and see someone's tweet that we don't even know and we can see someone's opinion that we've never met before and we can be more connected with uh, what's going on and the news and all of that stuff so the age of Aquarius is about expansion of um, of our ideas but also expansion of how we are connected um, it's also like the age of Aquarius is kind of like, what is that thing? It's called like the six degrees of separation. Like every single person in the world can be like linked through six people. How does that go? <laughs> I think it's like every single person in the world, um, you're only like six uh, acquaintances away from them or something, something like that, guys. You know what I'm saying. I can't quite put it into words. But I honestly really think that's true. Like even it, when I was in um, Malaysia uh, or traveling around Asia last year, I would meet people and we would have like insane coincidences of like different things that 
we had done or different places that we had lived and I was like okay that six degrees of separation is real honestly it's a real thing now let's go let's actually also talk about the 11th house the 11th house is traditionally um, people kind of just write it off very simply and say that it's about friendships um, and by the way Aquarius rules the 11th house in my eyes um, so that's why I'm bringing, bringing it up now some astrologers will relate the astrological houses to each sign aka you know the first house is Aries second house Taurus third house Gemini so on and so forth 11th house Aquarius some astrologers do not have that philosophy and there is more than one house system as well I'm kind of going off a more traditional house system but there are many 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 house systems so that's something also you want to be aware of if you are studying astrology if you want to know more about the houses, uh, like in a traditional sense, I made a podcast episode about that. I think it was one of my first episodes I'm talking about, you know, what each house represents. But as I kind of go more into the zodiac archetypes, I further expand on each house as we go through the signs. But going back to the 11th house, like I said, this is traditionally about friendships, um, but I kind of want to take it a step further um, because the 11th house is sort of about our larger social networks. Like, I want you to think of every single person you've ever met. You probably can't do it because you've you've met with so many people. Like, even if it was just um, an acquaintance that you talked to for a day, like still think of them as part of your larger social network and it's kind of overwhelming to think of like just how many people each of us have met right like think of your family um think about the kids you met in school think about the kids you've met in high school in college um you know the people you've met in different countries in different states uh the people that you've um you know uh, talk to ran into at the grocery store those are all people that are connected in your larger social network and the truth is our larger social network is very overwhelming and overwhelmingly large and that's one of the themes of the 11th house and when I was thinking about the 11th house I started to think of um, my favorite writer who Virginia Woolf and one time I actually was in uh, I got the opportunity to go to her house in England and it was like one of the best days of my life and I, I, like Virginia Woolf also was, is an Aquarius so it's funny that I like thought of her when I'm thinking about the 11th house but even if you haven't read her writing I find her to be such uh, an Aquarius kind of person and especially in her writing if you've never read her writing uh, she writes in a very innovative way um, in a sort of stream of consciousness kind of style and that sort of style of the stream of consciousness is very 11th house and in this one book that she wrote called Mrs. Dalloway it's one of my favorite books um, she's constantly um, making the metaphor um kind of about how we are all connected on a thread 
you know, and of course she's talking about it in a metaphorical sense, but it's sort of amazing for me to think about life in that way and thinking about all the people I've met and uh, how we are all connected on this invisible thread. And if we can all think of like the moment we were born, you know, there was an invisible thread, you know, attaching us to all the people that we have met and that we will meet. And isn't that like kind of crazy? Like, but I actually kind of see how that works. And it almost makes me emotional to think that like the moment I was born, I had an invisible thread sort of uh, linking me to all the students that I would teach in Malaysia and all the people that I would meet while traveling and all the people that I still will meet when I do more travels. And it kind of goes to show that the people who you are meant to meet, they will meet you uh, no matter what, because you always have that connecting piece to them. Maybe that's a very like, uh, I don't know, maybe that's just a very like mal thing to say, or maybe that's just me who thinks of things like that. <laughs> but I just think of our karmic attachments. And for me, thinking about the threads and the strings that attach us to other people it's sort of an updated version of thinking of like the soulmate. And if you know me, you know I don't really believe in like that romantic soulmate kind of vibe, but I certainly believe that our souls are attached to different people and we're meant to learn different lessons from different people. And also it's funny because I feel like uh, the threads, uh, there's also a thread attaching me to whoever is listening to this on the other side of the podcast, right? Uh, because in some way we kind of are meeting, even though I don't get to talk to you one-on-one unless you, you know, reach out to me on social media or whatever, and I don't get to like look you in the eye and have a conversation with you. Still, nevertheless, I feel like there's these, uh, you know, strings just being thrown out and I'm sort of throwing out my voice on a string and you're catching it on the other side. And I don't know, it's so, it's so 11th house to me. And I couldn't help but think of Virginia Woolf. And if you've read her stuff, like maybe you've sort of, uh, you kind of get what I'm saying. And even if you haven't, uh, Virginia Woolf was so ahead of her time uh, in a very Aquarius type of way. She wrote things that were like genius and innovative and a lot of people didn't really see just how genius she was um, and just how innovative she was until after she died right and also the a moment that sort of came to mind when I was thinking about the 11th house and the strings that attach us to people and how um, some of our connections can seem very significant and other connections can seem very insignificant And uh, (laughs) this is kind of a weird story, but I was one time when I was I was walking near um, near the Mount Fuji area in Japan and I was just sort of walking on the street and I think I was trying to find a place for lunch or something and I had stopped on the corner. I was kind of in front of a restaurant and I was checking like Google Maps on my phone because I wanted to make sure I was sort of still walking in the same direction. And I had stopped. And at that exact moment, um, an older woman had walked out of the restaurant that I was standing in front of. And 
she sort of tripped on the step and she kind of caught herself on my arm. (laughs) And that, like, I mean, she was like a really small, you know, woman, like a little old lady. So it's not like she knocked me down or anything. But uh, she, like, said thank you. I mean, we couldn't really communicate because she was Japanese and she didn't know English. And uh, she had just fallen on me and it was okay. I caught her. She didn't fall to the ground or anything. But after she left, I couldn't help but think that, you know, every single moment of my life had been, in a way, like, leading up to that. (laughs) Like, as insignificant of a moment as that was, um, if I had done one thing differently, even, like, one thing, like, tiny, tiny thing, like, decided, like, not to go to Starbucks five years ago or decided not to get on a plane to Malaysia or decided not to do this or do that or stay there or walk there or even decided to take, you know, one step less to the right, um, I wouldn't have been standing in that exact spot and I wouldn't have been able to uh, sort of catch that lady who fell and she would have fallen to the ground if I had done one thing differently in my entire life. (laughs) And that's a very deep, profound thing to think of in such an insignificant moment in life. But I couldn't help thinking that is also very 11th house. Like even the insignificant people that we meet, they, we might still serve a purpose to them and they might still serve a purpose to us. And it goes to show that each thing that we do in life, um, nothing is truly that insignificant, right? Everything we do is significant. Even um, taking a drink of water, it's not as significant as we may think because all of our moments are interconnected. And no matter what, um, these moments and these people are all sort of wrapped around us like a string of yarn. And uh, that's really... (laughs) that's kind of all I wanted to say about that but I just I was trying to think of a good way to explain the 11th house and explain it to you guys that it's really not just about our friends it's about this larger social network of people that we may or may not find significant to us and to sort of end about you know the 11th house I think one of the principles of Buddhism sort of Um, or an understanding that comes from studying Buddhism is the fact that everyone is our teacher, right? Everyone is our teacher. Not just um, the people that we like or the people that we're seeking advice from, but rather even the people that piss us off or the people that we get in arguments with or the most challenging people in our lives are actually our greatest teacher. And that's also something that, you know, a theme of the 11th house, uh, seeing everybody that we meet as our teacher, you know, the person that pisses you off on Twitter, that's your teacher. Um, The person that you keep getting in an argument with at work, that's your teacher. And so on and so forth. I view all of you as my teacher. And any, um, you know, student that I've ever had the privilege of teaching, those were all of my teachers. I always say that when I went to Malaysia and I taught those kids English, um, you know, what they taught me was so much more profound than what I ever taught them.
and that's something we have to remember, I guess, when we're talking about Aquarius, we're talking about the 11th house. Um, before we actually get into Aquarius sun, I am like chatty. I'm so, I think this is what happens in Aquarius season for me. <laughs> I am just like in the other realm, like thinking of weird shit. And um, thanks for giving me a space to talk about the, my weird thoughts. <laughs> but um, let's, before we jump into Aquarius sun, and actually like personality traits of an Aquarius, I just want to quickly touch on two tarot cards in um, the, the tarot system, um, that kind of represent Aquarius in a way, and one obvious one is the star card, um, the star in the, um, tarot deck, it's actually depicting the Aquarius water bearer, um, and it's about this water bearer archetype that sort of represents Aquarius, and in that card, the water bearer lady, um, first of all, she's naked, and she's representing a very pure version of the soul um, that has yet to been to be imprinted by societal conditioning. She's very much a, I think, a spirit figure. Like I never have seen the star, the lady in the star, as someone who is walking the human realm. Like she's very much sort of our spirit selves or our soul a very pure representation of our soul without any societal conditionings however she's also pouring um, two jugs she's pouring water into a river um, and then she's also pouring water onto land and if you really notice the card in the rider Waite smith um, when she's pouring that jug of water onto land you can see how the um, sort of water out of her jug is making five different streams onto uh, the sort of land or the ground and um, those five different streams can be seen as a lot of things uh, for me I sort of see it as the five human senses but there's a lot of different significant significances of those five different streams but kind of uh going more towards the overall meaning of the star card um it's about integrating you know the spirit world into the human realm and it's also about having hope of um when we've just gone through a really hard time it's sort of like that new moon in Aquarius that I was talking about, like having that understanding that spirit has your back, having that understanding that whatever you've planted, um, what is meant to grow will grow and what is not meant to grow will not grow. And uh, the star card is also about having trust that uh, whatever is meant for you, it will not miss you. And whatever it misses you is not meant for you. And that sort of understanding is very profound. And that's the medicine of the star card. Um, the star also comes sort of in the middle of some very heavy energies. Like uh, the devil, the tower, and then, then comes the star. And then after the star is the moon and the sun. So it's that sort of final countdown, that final push kind of energy like we're we're sort of in that final lesson or that final pain that we're dealing with in the certain cycle that we're in and the star card can give us that final hope or that final push to sort of make it through whatever we were going through 
Now, also, uh, the Fool card in the tarot is um, represented by Uranus. <laughs> and I love the Fool card. The Fool is actually one of my cards of the year. It's a very difficult energy for people to go through. Um, to sort of take on, which I find with myself and also the people that I read for. Uh, the Fool is scary because the Fool, um, it requires a sort of um, a very childlike innocence that the Star card also has. Um, that's why the Star Lady is naked. You know, she's representing that pure innocence of the soul. And so is the Fool. The Fool is the first card in the entire tarot. And the fool represents crossing a threshold um, with a sort of uh, just an immense amount of trust that spirit has his back. An immense amount of trust that this journey of life is, um, although it's constantly a struggle and we constantly are learning lessons and we constantly have to deal with people and shitty situations, um, it's trusting that there's um, greater lessons and these greater lessons will bring us joy and that's kind of all I really have to say about the fool card I think I'll go more into the fool card in um, a different episode but I think people get really happy sometimes when they pull the fool including me and they're like "Woo, the fool like uh, it's such a happy energy like I love the fool Uh, I actually I'm starting to see that it's a very difficult energy for some people to deal with, especially if you're a control freak, (laughs) especially if you're afraid of change, especially if you are afraid to take on a new beginning or enter into a new cycle of your life. Um, it's, It's a very scary energy. And we have to remember that like the end of a cycle and the beginning of a new one is always going to elicit fear. And that's also something that we want to be aware of when we're looking at the fool. Now, finally, let's get into actually like the Aquarius, uh, you know, placements in your chart. So let's just go, let's start with Aquarius Sun. As always, I sort of do um, Aquarius Sun. I'll be talking about Aquarius Moon, Rising, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. Um, If you are an Aquarius Sun, you might resonate with some other things I'm saying um, for, you know, the other placements. So just keep that in mind. Uh, But you might not resonate with everything I'm saying just because we're complex humans with complex, you know, natal charts and (laughs) whatnot. So, but I'm going to just give a general overview of how I feel for each placement, what this actually means. First, let me take a quick drink of water. Okay, so Aquarius Sun, um, body part, they are ruled by the ankles, shins, and calves. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this also kind of reminds me of the Fool card in a way. A big part of the Fool card is like the fact that this guy is about to like walk over a cliff. <laughs> and I can see how like the shins, ankles, and calves are the parts of our body that move us forward. And they're the parts of our body that lead us into new territory. So I can definitely see how, you know, the Aquarius um, zodiac sign is ruled by that body part. 
it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Aquarius, they are masculine, they're fixed, and they're an air sign. A lot of people mistake Aquarius for a water sign just because the, uh, the symbol for Aquarius is the water bearer, as I just mentioned, but um, it's still very much an air sign, and if you really knew what a water sign was, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't think Aquarius was a water sign, right? Um, Aquarius, the opposition is Leo. Leo is very much about the individual. It's about the heart space. It's about our own egos. Um, it's about who we are in this world as, you know, individual beings. And Aquarius is very much about who we are um, as part of a collective whole, um, who we are in the greater, greater picture of society. And um, I think that's sort of why um, Aquarius people or people with heavy Aquarius placements, sometimes they find it, find themselves or find it hard to commit themselves to um, one ideology or one identity, right? These people are always changing. Um, they don't ever really want to commit themselves to one religion or one dogma. Um, they're not really a part of one school of thought. And even if they do commit themselves to a certain religion or school of thought, it's really after careful consideration of all other dogmas and religions, right? <laughs> um, and even if they do commit themselves to, let's say, paganism, or they commit themselves to a certain spiritual way of life, um, it's a way of life that allows them to continue questioning um, what their beliefs really mean. And that's the beautiful thing about Aquarius. Uh, that's why they find it hard to commit themselves to one school of thought, because they're constantly questioning what is true and what is not. They're truly like the natural philosophers of the Zodiac. And uh, in the same way, I think Aquarius, um, that's why they can be chastised for their innovative ideas, right? They just see the world on a completely different scale than most people do. And uh, they feel like tradition is sort of unnecessary, <laughs> They see traditions as sort of like chains on um, society. They see tradition as something that sort of holds society back. And they can see like the fun of it all. Like they can see that, you know, Thanksgiving is, you know, fun to get together with your family. But then they also see how hurtful Thanksgiving can be to indigenous people. Uh, because they see that the tradition is actually rooted in racism and colonization and all that stuff. Um, which is why I think some people will actually see Aquarius. Um, they mistake Aquarius people as rebels without a cause. But I think that's where people are mistaken um, because they always have a cause. <laughs> They're like very much the humanitarian of the Zodiac and uh, I think people sort of see Aquarius as just mixing the pot to stir the pot. They're just being rebels to be a rebel. Rebel. Um, they're just acting like an alien to be an alien. But at the end of the day, um, these people are rebelling uh, because they have a reason to. They have a reason behind every criticism they make. And they're not just, you know, being... Uh, 
rabble rousers to be rabble rousers like they actually it's that's their job in the zodiac that's their job to challenge people on their beliefs and challenge people about their traditions which is a beautiful thing about Aquarius but people especially highly traditional people um can get really easily pissed off by Aquarius and um they can sort of say to Aquarius oh you're just being you know, a rebel without a cause, or like, you're just being weird for the sake of being weird, or you're just being, um, you know, uh, you guys get what I'm saying, but it, it's, it's really is for a cause, it is for a higher purpose, and that's where people are mistaking what Aquarius is actually here to do, um, and if Virgos are sort of the criticizer of the individual person, Aquarius, they're very much the 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 criticizer of the collective right that's what they're here to do they're here to elicit that change they're here to push us into uncomfortable feelings so society can change for the better um now here's what aquarius sun and other aquarius um, placements have to be careful of just like the virgo has to be careful of this as well um, they may, um, you know, because they have such innovative ideas and they have such a strong feelings of what is the truth, um, they can sometimes have the tendency to manifest people in their lives that uh, they may, um, you know, be constantly correcting <laughs> or constantly saying, you know, oh, that's wrong, like this is right. Or they may be manifesting people in their life where they're constantly getting in arguments with them. Um, and that's sort of a shadow side of Aquarius. They're meant to challenge people, but they're meant to challenge people in a productive way. Just like Virgos are meant to challenge people, but in a productive way. And that can go wrong really fast, uh, especially when we're just getting in arguments for the sake of getting in arguments. Um, and... It's sort of like, uh, I think the shadow side of Aquarius can kind of be like when you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, and uh, you sort of hate follow someone. <laughs> like uh, maybe some of you like hate follow Donald Trump or hate follow another political person. And you're just following them in a way to, um, to see just how dumb the things that they're saying are. Just like... Uh, see just what they're saying and how wrong you think they are and that can sort of be an Aquarius tendency to have uh, manifestations of certain people in their lives that they uh, they just sort of have them there to uh, kind of reassure themselves that they are right <laughs> uh, so that's just something to be careful of I'm not saying all Aquarius people do this but it's certainly a tendency for some Aquarius people and also some Virgo people as well right so they kind of have that in common um also another shadow side of Aquarius because they're so focused on the connections of um the greater human realm um they their individual connections could be lacking in sorts and I think more than any other sign I think Aquarius can find themselves in situations where they've cultivated a big group of acquaintances or friends or bros or what have you. And there's a sense that, you know, this Aquarius is super cool and they have all these friends and la la la. 
But Aquarius has to be careful. They have to make sure they can still actually connect to people on an individual level. Because their talent is cultivating these large social networks, um, but how can we sort of reel that back in and make sure we're still connecting to people on an individual level and creating that individual empathy? It's sort of like, um, let's say, an Aquarius um, is fighting for uh, the right for a woman to get an abortion, let's say. And they do all these activism things and they, they give money to um, whatever organization and they just are such passionate um, activists about uh, abortion rights and having a woman's right to pro-choice. Um, they could be so focused on that that um, on a grand scale that maybe one day they had the opportunity to talk to an individual about um, a woman's individual experience with getting an abortion and maybe they're not completely available to have that individual connection or that individual conversation or um, provide that individual empathy because they're so focused on the problem as a universal problem that when it comes time to actually connect with that individual and empathize with them, maybe they can't fully do it. And uh, it's not that they can't do it. Uh, maybe they're just overlooking that, um, that individual connections are um, just as important, if not more important than our collective connections, if that makes sense. So that's another thing that Aquarius Sun can sort of watch out for. Now, I think it's funny because, you know, the two, you know, most famous Aquarius um, people that we see are Oprah <laughs> and also Ellen DeGeneres is um, an Aquarius as well. And both people are just are talk show hosts, but they've made um, they've changed the world. Both of them have. And um, that's they kind of figured out how to be the Aquarius that connects with people on a universal scale but is also able to um, connect with people on an individual level at the same time. Um, if we think about let's say like how Ellen DeGeneres like when she came out on Time Magazine and said I'm gay uh, that I mean could there have been a more Aquarius moment in history <laughs> right like that was such like a, a a changing a pivotal moment in history where she got on a cover of a magazine she was able to be vulnerable enough to say what she said and did she um you know she didn't have an easy time after she did that uh, she didn't have an easy time with her career after she did that. Um, but you can see how it's paid off. And in doing that, in doing that thing coming out on a universal scale, she was actually able to connect with people individually and change people's lives on an individual level. Um, and that's really what's special. And that's the power that an Aquarius sun person has. And that's what an Aquarius sort of has to figure out. Like, how can I reach the most amount of people with my message, but also be able to uh, still empathize with the individual, right? And that's what Aquarius must also learn from the Leo archetype. And um, also the um, 
I said this in the Capricorn episode, how like, you know, we're on the last third, or sorry, the last fourth of the Zodiac with Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. And we can see how Aquarius is stationed in the middle of Capricorn and Pisces. And um, that's why Pisces, or that's why Aquariuses are sometimes known as the aliens of the Zodiac. <laughs> uh, because they're sort of in the middle of um, Aqu- Capricorn, which kind of represents the human soul in the human world. And then Pisces, which represents uh, the soul in the spiritual world. And Aquarius sort of has to be that connecting piece between both of those things, between the human body and then the spiritual soul. So that's often, I think, why Aquarius gets called the alien. Also, Aquarius gets called uh, an alien a lot just because um, they're conspiracy theorists. (laughs) And uh, I feel like any good conspiracy theory was definitely created by an Aquarius, right? And I have a Mercury in Aquarius, and I fucking love a good conspiracy theory, and I'm, like, obsessed with it. So, um, yeah, that could also be why um, Aquarius is so concerned with aliens. Also, it's funny because um, in the age of Aquarius, uh, um, that's when um, the actual... Under, our understanding of aliens came into um, came into the world like before the age of Aquarius nobody really had these um, uh, these alien abduction stories um, if we look at the history of alien abduction stories or anybody who's felt like they have met an alien or they um, you know they've had like a wild experience Uh, you hear these stories guys like you do like look it up (laughs) like there are some people who legitimately legitimately believe they had been abducted by aliens and um, none of that was ever present before age of aquarius so it kind of shows that in the age of aquarius we really are expanding our horizons on a very universal scale right uh we're not just talking about earth we're talking about all the galaxies in the world (laughs) and going back to like the threads that connect us um, from person to person in the earthly human realm um, we could very much have threads that connect us to other um, entities on other planets (laughs) and uh, who's to say we don't right who's to say we don't now that's kind of my summary for Aquarius sun Um, For Aquarius moons, um, you may have been seen as sort of the weird kid (laughs) in school. Um, You could have been seen as more of like um, an innovative, bossy um, sort of type when you were young. Um, You may have really been keen to take charge as a young person. Um, And even though you were seen as more of a maybe a rebel or um, sort of mischievous or even as kind of unique as a kid. As an adult, that's kind of what makes you cool, right? Um, Anything that you were seen as, um, you know, as weird uh, as a kid, uh, something that was weird about you, quote unquote, is now sort of your strength as an adult. Um, As a kid, you also could have been in a position where you weren't um, completely allowed to 
show your emotions or there could have been a situation where your emotions had to be on lockdown um for instance like maybe um maybe a parent got sick uh, and um you had to take care of the family as a young kid or um maybe a um a certain emotional uh thing was going on with your parent one parent or another parent and that kind of made you um have to sort of uh, grow up too fast quote unquote like it's almost like you had to be an adult faster than being a kid um that very much could have happened if you have an aquarius moon um you also really just have deep deep feelings for humanitarian issues right um a lot of aquarius moons will say that they are pacifists and they are promoters of peace um the whole like uh 60s sort of woodstock movement about um you know let's not go to war um let's sort of be at peace with each other stop killing people stop funding the military um that's very much aquarius moon kind of thing that happened in history right like a lot of aquariuses will call themselves pacifists especially aquarius moons like they truly want to see peace they truly don't want they almost see war as a very um archaic thing um like they see war as like uh, some as um, a source of stupidity or um, it's not a very intelligent way of going about fixing our problems right uh, an Aquarius moon is kind of like well why can't we just fix our worldly problems um, around a conference table <laughs> and talk about uh, talk about our um, what we feel and like how we can reach a compromise um, there's a greater vision of like how this world should actually be solving our problems um and also going back to that kind of topic of war um i was thinking about you know the history with the vietnam war and how a lot of americans protested the vietnam war and how a lot of americans didn't want the vietnam war and um a lot of uh, protesters you know lit themselves on fire you know on capitol hill and um, a lot of young men would get drafted and then they would burn their draft cards because they refused to go to war for this um, Vietnam War. And again, um, it's sort of like that Aquarius moon moment where people really didn't want to fight. A lot of people really did not want that fight. They wanted a more innovative way to fix whatever issue was at hand. Um, and they weren't afraid to even die for humanitarian issues. Uh, and again, that's like sort of the same theme of that Aquarius, you know, that greater feeling for the collective. Um, Aquarius moons have to feel for the collective, but also have to feel for the individual, right? So the, there's that same sort of shadow side of having the Aquarius moon, like being able to relate to humanitarian issues on a global scale, but then actually being able to be vulnerable to an individual uh that's what's difficult for them right um if you're an aquarius rising um you're truly just a magnet for all walks of life you know one of um, the oh, i'm thinking about the movie mean girls and in one of the opening scenes of mean girls um you were kind of in the cafeteria and they're sort of um 
like a table for each click right and you have like the band geeks and the popular girls and the um the science people the math people or whatever I, I haven't seen that movie in a while but it's sort of that uh that way of um connecting to every walk of life and Aquarius rising has a friend at every single table in the cafeteria right <laughs> and um that being said although they have um a friend quote unquote or a connection at each table in the cafeteria this doesn't necessarily mean that they feel um like their BFFs with that person. It's almost like they like having connections, but these connections don't actually go um, that much on a deeper level unless the Aquarius rising chooses to take it to a deep level, right? Um, and I think some people may assume that just because an Aquarius rising or for that matter, an Aquarius sun or even an Aquarius Venus, um, you know, just because one of those types of people is talking to them, it suddenly means that that person is interested in the Aquarius rising on a deeper level, um, but that doesn't mean that the Aquarius rising is interested in you. <laughs> um, and it's kind of like, uh, like nah, I'm just like talking to you because I want like free sh free tickets to your show, or like I'm just talking to you because I want you to like connect me to this person. That's not to say that Aquarius risings are superficial. But they know how to use their connections to their benefit, right? And a lot of their connections aren't really made to have this like intimate BFF friendship, right? It's more about um, making a connection um, to sort of expand their world, if that makes any sense. Also, Aquarius and Aquarius rising people, um, their sense of humor can be sort of a bit off-putting to some people because it's a very dry sense of humor. <laughs> um, and I think some more sensitive people, some people on the sensitive side, um, can have some trouble deciphering if an Aquarius um, or an Aquarius rising person is actually kidding or being serious. <laughs> and that's something that a more sensitive person, maybe a person with heavy water sign placements or maybe a Libra, they may have trouble sometimes in their friendships with Aquarius people because they're sort of like, oh my God, they have to like learn how to take things not so personally, uh, especially when it comes to the Aquarius sense of humor. <laughs> uh, that's not to say that Aquariuses can't make great comedians because I'm sure they can. Now, let's move on to Aquarius Mercury. Uh, I happen to have an Aquarius Mercury and it's one of my favorite placements that I have. In fact, I'm sort of thankful for this placement because I'm so watery otherwise that, you know, my Mercury in Aquarius, it allows me to communicate from a place of non-emotion when I need to. And um, that makes sense because more than any other zodiac sign, Aquarius knows how to shut off that emotional button. They know how to turn that emotional button on and off. And I think Virgos... And maybe even Scorpios think they can do this well, <laughs> but the truth is nobody can really do it quite as well as an Aquarius can. Um, and that's what makes Aquarius sort of a powerful um, a beacon of change. Um, there's this weird dichotomy because 
in Aquarius Mercury, you know, you have all the power in the world to communicate from a place of non-emotion. But at the same time, the things that you say have the power to elicit a great amount of emotion from others. Um, If we think about, let's go back to Oprah. You know, of course, Oprah would be an Aquarius. Of course, Oprah would be the host of like the most successful talk show in the world. And uh, the reason, um, you know, Aquarius uh, and Aquarius or Mercury in Aquarius people you know, they they make really good talk show hosts, right? Because <laughs> they're able to have these emotional conversations from a place of non-emotion. Um, they're able to talk about their deepest challenges in life um, in, in an accessible way. Um, they're able to elicit conversations that may be shocking to others. Um, as an Aquarius Mercury, I do actually love talking about taboo topics. I love to say things that shock people. (laughs) Um, I often do say things that shock people. And uh, they are willing to talk about things that others may not want to talk about. Or they're willing to talk about things that other people may not be available to hear. Um, And that's something that us uh, Mercury and Aquarius people have to learn. Like a lot of people aren't available for our message. (laughs) And it's kind of like, uh, let's say, like in middle school, um, maybe you had, um, you know, you were probably given like a mediocre puberty talk from a health teacher or something. And um, maybe your health teacher was sort of putting sex and puberty in a very scientific uh, way. Like they were saying, you know, penis and vagina. And every time that your health teacher would use this uh, sort of, uh, words, these words, um, you know, your you and your classmates would just be freaking out and be like, oh my god, I can't believe, you know, she just said that. I can't believe that she just said, like, penis and vagina in class. Like, we're in school. <laughs> like, it's sort of that, like, immaturity um, that we had as kids when we were talking about sex. Um, granted, I believe that, you know, as a collective, we don't know how to talk about sex in a beneficial way. And we really only know how to talk about sex in sort of a shaming way. Um, and that's something that I want to talk more about on this podcast. I do want to talk more about sex and sexuality. That's coming for sure. Um, because as a Mercury and Aquarius, you know, I have the power to talk about this kind of stuff. But anyways, it, you know, Mercury and Aquarius people can make others sort of feel like that little kid in a health class you know, learning about sex from a teacher and feeling awkward um, because they have a way of saying the things that other people aren't comfortable saying. Uh, And as a Mercury and Aquarius person, you know, of course I would develop a podcast, right? (laughs) Because like I wanted a space where I could talk about taboo things and I wanted a place to talk about spirituality and aliens and la la la. And Honestly, as I step more into my power as time goes on, you know, I can guarantee you that I think this podcast is just going to get more and more open and more and more available to talk about those taboo things that other people may not talk about, right? (laughs) Okay, let's go into Aquarius Venus. Um, So I put down here, I wrote down friends with benefits. (laughs) Um, You know, it's not necessarily that... um, 
you know, Aquarius, Venus, people with um, Venus and Aquarius, it's not necessarily that they're afraid of getting hurt because I think we're all afraid of getting hurt, right? Like we can't just put that on of Venus and Aquarius people, you know, however, I think that Venus and Aquarius, you know, sometimes they, they can sort of fail to see the point of opening up to others. And that's why they sort of default sometimes to this friends with benefits sort of relationship. Um, They're sort of like, you know, listen, if I don't automatically like see you as someone that I can be with long term, you know, we're just never going to get past that point of friends with benefits and we're just not. <laughs> so like, what's the point of me opening up to you? Like, I'm just sort of want you for sex and that's it, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying all Aquarius, Venus and Aquarius people are like this and I'm not saying all their romantic relationships are like this, but it's sort of that um, that ability to sort of shut off that deep emotion and just be like, you know what, sex is sex right now. Like, uh, we're friends with benefits and nothing more. They really do have that ability to sort of make that boundary. And I think some of us with other placements wish we were able to, you know, truly have a friends with benefits or um you know really truly be able to separate our emotions from the person we're sleeping with but uh venus and aquarius you know they have that way of doing it like some of us can't <laughs> and um but at the same on the flip side i think if a venus and aquarius person claims to be serious about a lover or a relationship they definitely mean that and when they're ready to commit they're ready to commit and it's funny because if you're taking a Aquarius or a Venus in Aquarius out on a date uh, you may want to rethink that typical you know pizza and a movie sort of plan you know they're gonna want something they're gonna want to do something that's a little bit more out of the box you know they want you to take them to get something to eat uh, that they've never tried before (laughs) Uh, they want uh, sort of more of a surprise. Oh my gosh, if you told a Venus in Aquarius, um, you were just like, okay, picking you up at seven o'clock, I'm not telling you what we're doing, uh, you just have to be surprised, they would eat that up. Like, that's actually kind of the way to the heart of an Aquarius. Like, they love that surprise aspect of the love, of the love, um, the romance uh, area of their life. And also, if you're dating dating an Aquarius, or you're dating a Venus in Aquarius, um, you you're you're gonna have to be a very philosophical person. You know, you're gonna have to be willing to talk about the deep stuff, and you're gonna have to be willing to um, really learn about uh, you know the Aquarius's spirituality or the Aquarius's way of looking at the world because they truly are like very philosophical people and they will expand your mind if you let them now Aquarius uh, Mars in Aquarius okay these kind of people are just natural activists right um even even something simple as um you know rearranging furniture in a living room uh a Mars in Aquarius person is really going to challenge um <laughs> why the couch is you know, in the corner versus in front of the window. (laughs) And that's really why they make such great activists um, because they're always challenging um, what is being said. 
they're always challenging the way that we are thinking. They're always up for a challenge. Um, you have a natural way of challenging those around you. <laughs> you may be particularly triggering to some people. You may be triggering to, um, too triggering to some people. And maybe some people have told you, you know what, like, I just feel like we can't be friends because, you know, you're too, um, maybe <laughs> you're too ready for an argument or you just enjoy an argument too much, <laughs> which can kind of be the shadow side of a Mars and Aquarius person. Um, at the same time, you know, they do love a good argument and that can be a good thing, especially if this type of person wants to go into politics, they want to be a lawyer or even they would make a good therapist. I think sometimes a good therapist is going to be that person who challenges the way you're thinking and opens your mind up to a new way of looking at something, which is really, uh, the beauty of a Mars and Aquarius person. Um, because Mars is the planet of, you know, war and sex <laughs> um, in their sexual lives, they sort of may just be one of the only ones in the Zodiac who actually can detach themselves from the emotions of sex, which can be a good and a bad thing. Um, it, it's sort of like that ability to really um, have sex just to have sex. Like they're kind of like a rose is a rose and sex is sex. And if I want to have sex just to have it and feel that pleasure, that's what it is. And it doesn't have to have emotions attached to it. Um, they're very much available to detach themselves, which I'm not saying is a good thing or a bad thing. It's just an ability that they have. And now when it comes to actually uh, developing an intimacy with sex, um, developing an intimacy with someone that can be sort of hard especially if they in their younger time in their younger years spend a lot of time detaching themselves from their sexual partners when it comes around and they actually meet someone that they really love um, and they really like having that deep intimate connection with them can be a very frightening thing okay so that's something that an Aquarius Mars might have to work through in life but they really are that protester person they they love a good protest they love to you know make their sign you know uh God is coming and she is pissed and you know <laughs> make that sign and go to a protest and really be chanting um whatever they may be chanting and they really want to act be an activist for change which is the beautiful thing about Aquarius and Mars and I think that's about all I have to say for Aquarius today um, if you related to anything I was saying please you know hit me up tweet me uh, DM me on Instagram let me know what resonated let me know what doesn't resonate um, also remember, I'm just, I'm a student of astrology and this uh, podcast is sort of a beautiful way for me to challenge myself and force myself to learn more about astrology um, and sort of expand my horizons. Um, but I, I've certainly said things that uh, maybe other astro professional astrologers wouldn't agree with. <laughs> so again, take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, and know that I know that I'm a student and I'm talking from a place of a student but also I don't think because just because I'm a student and I don't know everything I don't think that means that I don't um, you know 
this podcast can't also still be helpful to some other person, right? Especially if you're a student of astrology like me, you may struggle with some of the same things, um, uh, understanding certain zodiac or astrological rules or whatnot. And I hope to hold a space for um, students of astrology and also professional astrologists as well. So uh, take take what I say with a grain of salt, take it or leave it, what I say. But I really thank you for joining me today for this discussion about Aquarius season. Um, on my blog, I posted some tarot scopes for uh, Aquarius season if you don't know what a tarot scope is, it's sort of like a horoscope, only I give you your monthly forecast and tarot cards. So make sure to check those out. If you haven't visited my blog yet, um, I'm trying to make it sort of a resource for beginning tarot card readers, also baby witches, and also students of astrology. So I'm trying to sort of have that trifecta, you know, that witchcraft, astrology, and tarot themes going on um, and just make it sort of a place for spirituality so the link to my website and my blog is in the show notes so make sure to check out your tarot scopes for Aquarius season and then our next episode uh, will be the woman who run with the wolves part three so I'm really excited for that Um, we're gonna have a part three and a part four and then ends Women Who Run With The Wolves. And then we'll be doing a new book club book, will, which I will announce. I think I have like a pretty good idea of what book that's going to be. I'm still finishing it. Um, but let's just say this book is really going to challenge me to step into my um, Mercury and Aquarius placement. Because this book is going to force me to um, talk about some very taboo things um and it's gonna force me to um really be vulnerable with you guys and it's gonna force me to talk about things that may have made me uncomfortable in the past and may make other people uncomfortable that being said this book is like life-changing it's so good I can't wait to sort of uh get to it but first we're gonna have to finish um Woman Who Run With The Wolves with which is just equally as amazing of a book but Yeah, so that's what's going on, guys. I wish you guys a beautiful Aquarius season. Again, happy birthday to all my Aquarius people. Feel free to reach out to me. And if you want to leave me a five-star rating on iTunes or leave me a review or even just share this with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. And I'll see you guys next week. Okay, bye-bye.